Welcome to season four, episode one of the Putback. I'm Ian Begley, SNY's NBA insider, and we're here back with another season to kick things off. Pretty newsworthy day for the Knicks. I have two great guests. One of our regulars, CP of the franchise, Knicks Fan TV, WFAN, Sirius XM, NBA Radio. You all know him and you all know this next gentleman, Alan Hahn. All over ESPN, particularly on the radio side, ESPN National, ESPN New York, and MSG pre- and post-game shows. Gentlemen, let's start here. Emmanuel, quickly, no extension. Alan Hahn, your thoughts? I'm not surprised, and it's not because either either side didn't want to come to an agreement. I truly believe the Knicks, and especially Tom Thibodeau, when you hear him say how much they love him and how much they appreciate his development over the years, he's a great fit for this team, and he's the right, obviously, for the culture they've been trying to build. Quickly also, loves being in New York, loves everything about playing here, but this is a business. And so when you have Jalen Brunson on the team, you have a ceiling that's in the way of a guy that might think himself a starter in the NBA. You saw his minutes last year when he did start in place of Jalen Brunson when Brunson was injured, quickly played great, and he was a six-man-of-the-year runner-up. Here's a guy that at his age should be thinking about, can I be a starter in this league and will that opportunity be out there? And when you see some of the contracts that were given out to fellow 2020 classmates, it does make you kind of think from the agent's perspective, from Quickly's, if I'm representing the kid, I might say to him, you know what, bet on yourself and see what kind of opportunities await you in next summer. And the worst thing that happens is the Knicks match, and you stay where you love and you are loved. But it could also mean an opportunity to be a starter around the league. We all know, here in New York especially, guys, how valuable a point guard can be and how tough it can be to find one, especially a starter. So for quickly, I think this is a business decision. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think all along he was not going to give the Knicks a hometown discount, nor should he. I mean, if you're quickly, you're coming off a great season, you're going to uh, seek everything that you think you can get. And it's just going to be interesting to th- see how things play out, CP, because now quickly he's not on an extension. So that means there's no poison pill provision in his deal, which, of course, makes it really tough, would make it really tough to trade him. Now, just a traditional rookie contract last season of his rookie deal, much easier to move him if the Knicks decide to go that route. What did you make of today's news? Yeah, it, it's tough news on, on both sides. It seems like both sides intend to let the market dictate what Emmanuel Quickly's value is. But for Quick, it seemed like even a couple of years ago that he's he's been betting on himself and looking at him at, in terms of being a starter in this league. If you go back a few years, there were members of his Rock Nation camp that put out some cryptic tweets that uh, you know spoke negatively about Emmanuel Quickly's playing time and looking at him as the the potential point guard for the Knicks. And so having come just in in second place in the six man of the year voting it seems like he wants to continue to bet on himself as Allen had referred to his fellow draft classmates and Devin Vassell Jada McDaniels getting big paydays so looks like quickly whose camp was intended to take this into the summer if you look at some of the teams that have ample cap space you have the san antonio spurs could they be looking for a future two-way point guard to pair with Whit victor Wembanyama? i think look at the utah jazz their point guard situation still a little bit unsettled so you have some teams there that are going to have some cap space that could make things a little bit tough for the knicks which makes things a little bit challenging in, in terms of now having to compete with other teams for Emmanuel quickly services and for the Knicks, 
it, it you know quickly situation is a little bit difficult because there's only I, I believe there's only a certain level or certain number that they'll be willing to go. He's going to be buried on the bench behind Jalen Brunson. I also thought the Dante Divincenzo acquisition made a quickly departure a little a little bit more digestible for the Knicks. So it could be a possibility that there was a number that they weren't willing to go to and also wanted to remain flexible in case they want to make a trade this this season. And Alan, when you look at the salaries in that Nick locker room, you know, they extended Josh Hart uh, around 20 a year. They brought DiVincenzo in. Um, and they also obviously with Julius Randle at a number, Jalen Brunson at a number. I mean, do you think quickly side kind of looked at what those numbers were and said, hey, we belong in spot X. You know, we're not going to take less than player X. Do you think that enters into the negotiations at all? Yeah, you know, let's also keep in mind, too, that Josh Hart took less than I think maybe he thought his market value was, and especially played ball by picking up his option, too, to give them some flexibility. Right. So you had some guys that were willing to do stuff like that. Let's also not forget that Jalen Brunson proved last season that his contract, which some people thought when it was signed, oh, they paid way too much money for Jalen Brunson. Now it's a steal. I mean, that, that contract looks like a bargain. Again, starting point guards at an all-star caliber level are not going for what Brunson is making. So that's the other part of it that you have to see from the Knicks' perspective. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think if you're, again, this all goes back to the business side of it, guys. And, and I've been trying to say this for a while now. It is not a matter of not wanting to play here. It's not a matter that they don't want him. But it is a matter of, well, we've got a starting point guard. And we know already that he's, he's, he's on the cheap. And they're going to have to fix that in a couple of years. I mean, he's in his second year of a four-year deal. So they'll have to address that soon. And so that's what he is here when they look at quickly, right? And that has to be the way you approach it if you're the Knicks. But you have to, for him, look at your classmates, see what they're making, and hey, bring up Vassell's number, 27 a year. And that, to me, is like if, if I'm his agent, if I'm them, that's how, that's how I'm looking at it. I'm like, wait, if he's making that, then why can't a team like Orlando come in and offer him something like that? There's a lot of teams in the league that are still fairly young that are looking for point guards. So I'd keep my eye on that stuff. And if look, we all know this stuff. We've been covering the league a long time, right? And you know this from talking to teams and talking to agents. You kind of have a feel for what teams might be in the market for you and might be interested in you and what they'd be willing to pay. That stuff is not tampering. That's called just doing your due diligence. So when you make decisions like this, it's based on having an understanding or a belief that there will be an opportunity out there for you. Now, once again, it doesn't mean the Knicks let them walk. You know, they they could say, you know what, we love them enough. That's a decent enough number. We're getting Brunson on the cheap. We're doing it. They could do that. So you never know. But it's a bet on himself kind of season for quick. It's a bit of a gamble for him, yes. But it's a good gamble based on what you saw last year. And what you'll get for the Knicks is a motivated backup point guard who can play starters minutes when needed and can be one of the best reserves in the NBA once again. One other factor there, I want to ask both of you guys about this. Emmanuel, quickly, to me, you know, spending time just asking him questions in the locker room, um, hanging around him for a little bit, he strikes me as a very, very mature uh, player for his age. I, I can't see this situation impacting him much on the court, but I think it's only human nature, you know, to, to be a little concerned about your contract status and, and maybe that impacts your play. Do you see that dynamic? Are you concerned at all about that dynamic CP first and then Alan? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah. 
Yeah, you, you certainly hope it doesn't impact him going into the season. Will he feel like he's under more pressure to perform at and repeat the uh, excellent standout performance that he did last year, finishing second and sixth man of the year of voting? You hope not, but uh, knowing quickly, knowing his background, he comes from a solid family, a, a very strong family. And as you said, he has that maturity where you, you just hope that it, it doesn't impact him as the season progresses. I'll tell you what, I don't know if he's built that way. You know, like I, I have seen him in pressure situations and he gets, he, you can see that. Like he's one of these guys that he, it's all up here with him. It's his focus. It's a focal point and all that stuff. And I think for him, he'll be extra motivated to prove himself this year. That's how I think he's going to approach this. Now, when you talk the pressure part of it, that's where I'm curious to see if things don't go well. Remember, he, he, he shot over 40% for the first time in his career only last season. You know, we know he's a good shooter. Tom Thibodeau talks about it all the time in practice. They have 100% confidence in him when he shoots it, but the percentages didn't prove itself during the regular season until last year where you really started to see it. The three-point numbers have always been decent. Obviously, at the free-throw line, he's been money. So what you want to watch with him, because he is a young player and he is betting on himself, and that's a lot of money you can leave on the table, is that does he get frustrated with himself? And also when it comes to his role. You know, how does that play here as well? I don't think he's built that way, but it's only human nature that if things – look look at the record. Oh, I mean, sorry, the schedule for the start of the season for the Knicks. They got a juggernaut in the first 10 games. I mean, you're playing tough team after tough team night in and night out. You're playing some good defenses. So if he's off to a start where the shots aren't dropping, where he's a little frustrated with himself, how does he handle it? It's a lot on his plate, but I've seen him handle it in the past when it just comes to – growing into the role that he's grown into. So I believe he'll be fine. But like I said, there's a lot of pressure, not just on him, but on this team to take a step forward this year. Gentlemen, we've got a fan question. I believe uh, our social media guru, Matt Spenley, is checking in, I believe, with a question. What's up, Matt? Hey, guys. So we have breaking news during the show. Per ESPN, Giannis has agreed to a three-year, $186 million extension with the Bucks including a player option for the 27-28 season. So he's a guy we had discussed, the Bucks traded for Lillard in the middle of the show. We got news to discuss. So, Ian, kick us off. Your thoughts on this deal, uh, just as I read it here live. Yeah, you know what? The Knicks were certainly among the teams that were keeping an eye on that situation in Milwaukee with Giannis. You know, he went public talking about how he wanted to see if the Bucks were fully committed or as committed as he was to winning a title. And he said that twice in two interviews over the offseason, and that was before Milwaukee made the trade to acquire Damian Lillard. So, you know, what Giannis was saying and stuff being said behind the scenes leading up to that Lillard trade led teams to believe, hey, Giannis might be available. Maybe Milwaukee decides to move on. Maybe he leaves in free agency. There was a lot of, you know, that, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of discussion about the Bucks, but the, obviously, the Lillard trade changes everything. It, it gets the commitment uh, from Giannis that Milwaukee wants, and now you can cross him off of any uh, potential star acquisition list for the Knicks or for any other team. Are you guys – now I want to ask CP because I know that you were on this over the summer too. Did you see him committing today the way he has, or, or did you expect things to kind of still be uncertain as they rolled the balls out this year? 
You know, I, I thought the timing was interesting in terms of when his comments came out and then when the Lillard trade happened. It almost seemed as if his comments were put out there as if to say that's what he already mentioned or, or intimated to Bucks management was to say, hey, go get me a guy or else I'm not going to commit. And then they pulled the Damian Lillard trade, and now here we are. He's $60 million a year richer. And so I, I thought it was a long shot in terms of him potentially uh, leaving Milwaukee or, or hitting free agency down the road. And, and now it's uh, you can pretty much close the door on that. So that's one target that, uh, the, that the Knicks won't have to worry about in terms of being on their roster, but will certainly have to contend with for years to come with, with Damian Lillard. Yeah, that's where I want well, to Let's credit next. Giannis. Yeah, I was going to say, just let, let's let's credit Giannis for being a good businessman here because all he yeah. did was use what he has, which is his leverage. Right. And his leverage was to say that, you know what, if I don't think we're trying to win here, I'm just going to go somewhere else. And he had the leverage of his contract and the ability to walk away. And so what do the Bucks do? They go out and get a point guard, a superstar for him to play with. And what does that superstar have? A two-year, $127 million contract extension in his pocket that kicks in also. So what does Giannis do but line up his deal with Dame Lillard's deal, and they give themselves a real window to win another championship in Milwaukee. It was a smart play by Giannis. Never once did I believe he was leaving there. I just felt like that he, he's got a home there. They're going to pay him a ton of money. They just brought in an NFL owner in there as well who's got deep pockets, so there's no worries at all about paying repeater tax and everything else. Giannis played this perfect, and he used the leverage of a big market like New York to put that pressure on Milwaukee to make sure that they got to business and made sure that they built the roster that could win another championship. It's done, and as you'll probably talk about next, Ian, Bagels, the Knicks have to deal with the Bucks for the next couple of years. If they're going to try to win a championship, they're going to have to build a team good enough to beat Giannis, Dame, and the Bucks. That's it. Exactly where I was going, Alan, because, yeah, we could talk about crossing Giannis off of a potential trade list, but more importantly, here and now, I mean, that team is set from a from top two player perspective for three years to come, two years to come, three years to come. So this mm -hmm. window for the Knicks that you're looking at, you know, you you would maybe think of it as some long term window, but I don't think that's the case, given where. Uh, management is in its entering its fourth season, Thibodeau entering his fourth season. I don't think it's some long-term window here. So this move really, really makes it much more difficult for the Knicks to go ahead and compete in that upper echelon of the East. The other thing you're looking out for from a Knicks perspective at the top of the East is Boston with Drew Holiday. Do they extend him? I know, you know, when teams were inquiring about trading for him, the idea was he wanted to go somewhere where he could win and extend. So I assume the Celtics do. But the Giannis extension, obviously, really significant for New York over the next few seasons if they're trying to get over the hump and be a top team in the East. But what the Knicks do have, gentlemen, is Jalen Brunson. And Tom Thibodeau talks often about how every offseason he's always getting better, uh, You know, whether it's shot making, whether it's footwork, whatever it is. He's always coming back an improved player. CP, where do you see Brunson at this point, based on what he did last season, where do you see him? Uh, going up a level uh, coming into this year. Well, you can certainly hope so. And for the Knicks to be able to compete with the Bucks, he's going to have to step it up another level and, and be a bona fide all-star. I mean, to be able to come onto the scene and, and shoot the ball as efficiently as he did, uh, shoot it as efficiently as he did from three, and really take command of this offense from day one. I mean, if, if you go back to the previous point guards that this Nick team had from 
Peyton to the failed Kemba Walker experiment to even putting Alec Burks in that position, they really didn't have that stability there. And so for Brunson, that's what he's going to have to continue to do this year for the Knicks is just to be that guy that they can rely on, give the ball to, set the tempo, command the offense, and be a guy that can really deliver for them in crunch time situations. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And and we go to another uh, important Nick, Julius Randall Allen, and he, you know, he's talked about being a more efficient player. Talked to us about that in training camp. I thought that was interesting. Uh, coming off uh, relatively strong season, all-star season, uh, we all saw playoffs. Randall was hurt. Uh, I thought there was some possessions where he wasn't giving you 100% on defense, even with the injured ankle. Uh, but I thought he played much better in this last postseason than his first one. Now, obviously, he's going to need to have a big season for the Knicks to go where they want to go. Alan, uh, stats aside, how do you view Randall just in terms of what's most important? What do you see when you see Randall at his best? Before I get into Randall, I just want to thank CP for the PTSD on the point guard situation before Jalen Brunson. I mean, he just starts rattling off names, and I just start going into that really dark place about watching Alfred Payton not shoot the basketball. I mean, Will, you want how far back do you want to go here? Because I work with Harry Douglas, Tony's brother, and I'm like, I tell Harry all the time, what's your brother doing? Is he still playing? We need a point guard. So at least that part was solved. But with, with, with Randall – you know, the official, I, I said this on the broadcast when we were doing the, uh, the, the Minnesota preseason game, and, and I really felt it watching him and just talking to him, just seeing him at this point now. And it's like, you know, we've kind of grown with him, right? And when he first came here, was, was he a good player? What could he be? Then you started seeing evidence of what he could be. Became an all NBA player, an all star. But I don't think anybody really took him that serious. And then, of course, the step back year and all the issues that happened, the stuff with the fans and everything else. And there grew this animosity, right, and this frustration that what we later learn is that we were all mad at the same thing, right? Like, we were all mad at the same thing, which was him. He was mad at himself, too, but he was mad that everybody was, was seeing it and calling him out for it. Welcome to New York. So it's like this growth process that's happened. And I remind people all the time, let's not take for granted in three, in three years he was a two-time All-NBA. That's hard to do. Mm-hmm. That he's an all-star twice as well. That's still hard to do. And look at Nick's history and recent Nick's history. There's not a lot of that in the last 20 years. And then on top of it, it is the 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 production part of it, right? The 2010 and, and four, which you know, you have Jokic, uh, you, you might have Embiid, you might have Giannis. There's not many guys that are doing what he's doing statistically. I love that he's talking efficiency now, because that tells me it's less about the totals and more about how the production is brought. And it's also the understanding that with a year under his belt playing with a guy like Brunson is that that understanding kind of is already now in place. That's what we like about the continuity of this team. I want to see Randall's game, I don't know if this makes sense, mature. Does that make sense? The idea that there were times that he will always revert back and then you'll see a couple of bad shots or broken possessions or where he just overhandles the basketball. And we all know when they come. He's too good of a player at this point to start reverting to that. So the maturity in his game that at the age of 28, it really should be at a point now where he knows not to go to those places. Doesn't have to. you got a guy like Brunson that can get you 25, 30 a night. R.J. Barrett can get 20 a night. Recognize what you have around you. And that at this point, with all the accolades that you've had, All-NBA twice, All-Star, all the different things he's done, what's now missing is winning. And being part of a core that 
you know, everybody keeps talking about the Knicks need a star. And here's a guy that should be, if I were him, looking around going, I am a two-time All-Star. Like, mm-hmm. I've been two-time All-NBA. Like, what do you mean they need a star? That's how he should think. Now, we don't see him that way. That's reality. But he should think that way. And that would be maturity in his game, to make it more about winning and less concern about shots and points and statistics and everything else, because he's kind of done that already. Right. And I think for stretches last year, I, I thought he was that. I thought he was distributing the ball really well, getting off of it quickly when a second defender came. And I would expect to see even more of that this season based on you know how his offseason went, what he's talked to us about. CP, big picture for this Nick team. What does success look like for the 23-24 New York Knicks? Yeah, I think it's getting back into the second round and hopefully competing for the Eastern Conference Finals or if not uh, being a tough out uh, again in the second round. I think anything short of that would be a little bit disappointing. They are running the same team back, and so you're hoping that with another year of chemistry, another year of stability, another year under Tom Thibodeau's leadership, that this team can continue on on their path. So obviously Milwaukee and, and the Celtics will be the class of the East. I think Philly is going to take a step back once they complete or if they complete that James Harden trade. I have to respect what the, what the Cleveland Cavaliers are, are, are doing there with their upgrades at the three-point line and then also with their ability to play defense with that, that twin tower combination of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. So I think Cleveland will be right up there in the 3-4 mix. But for the Knicks, I think anything less than, than second round and, and hopefully the, the Eastern Conference Finals I think would be a bit of a disappointment. Alan, do you see it that way? Yeah, I'm looking at this team and I'm saying, you know, I'm, how much are we talking stability and continuity? And you keep t- t- checking the notes. And is this, are we talking about the New York Knicks here? Continuity, <laughs> stability? Or is that what we're doing? Like, you know, you think about all the teams in New York right now and all the problems that everybody has. And we never bring up Nick problems lately. Like, it hasn't been a problem. And that's a good thing. But it means also that you do have to advance the cause. Like, at some point, that has to happen, right? So last year was it was that step, win a first-round series, get into the second round. Some would argue with the injuries and everything else, that second-round series, it was a good series, went six, could have gone more. You know, I mean, there are a couple of plays away from overcoming it and at least bringing a seventh game back home, didn't happen. So there wasn't that much magic last year. But we can't look at it as an aberration. Like, we have to now judge them on that standard. You know, like, I think the year before that was the aberration. You have a playoff team the first year with Tom Thibodeau. Then you have the step back, the fallback season for myriad reasons, which includes some roster stuff and some other growth problems. But then that third year, it's like, okay, that's that team we saw two years ago. Here's what we're talking about. So now that's the standard we hold them to. So with that in mind, like CP said, and I think he's right, we have to look at it as second round is, the is to me, the worst-case scenario. Like, that's it. That's what it has to be now. And you have to look at, this, look at the East and consider, yes, Milwaukee, cream of the crop, Boston. They're coming for it. But there are some questions about everything that comes to that roster, including their depth and some of their bigs that might have some injury issues that could come up, that could cost them later on. With the Knicks team, there's tons of depth. They have been together for a while. They should be in the conversation as a team that should have first-round home court advantage. They should be in the top four. They should be looking at the first 50-win season in 10 years, in a decade. That's what they should be aiming for. That, of course, comes with full health and everything else. But there is enough here for us to hold them to a standard of being that kind of team. And I think that's what they aim for as well, to be there. 
And then the last thing is, because we keep hearing from a lot of people now that this isn't the Knicks that nobody wants to play for. This is now a, a team and a franchise that's everybody's saying stars should want to play there. This should be the season that makes that more evident than ever. And there's the white whale that we're waiting for. That's superstar. So it's not going to be honest, clearly. But there are always others that pop up. And it should be someone that eventually they can catch the big fish. Because that then puts you in the conversation with what the Bucks are doing and the Celtics are doing. I know Ian loves bagels. You love the trade rumors and you love the next star stuff. That's all good <laughs> for content, baby. And that's all we're looking for because Leon Rose has done a great job with this roster and he's done a great job hiring the coach. They've done a great job bringing stability and continuity to this franchise. The last thing is the white whale. And who's it going to be? Yes. But Han, I will say this. I mean, am I wrong in saying Leon Rose was brought here to bring a star to New York? I mean, I think that's pretty accurate. So the, the trade talks, I think it all surround, it starts with that. Um, but I do think it's going to be interesting to see the timeline now on that kind of a move with what just happened a few minutes ago. Giannis re-signing, committing to Milwaukee multiple mm -hmm. years, lining up with Lillard. How does that change the timeline? Does it change the timeline at all? But for you guys, if you're looking at this landscape, this is going to, I'm asking for a short answer here. Mm -hmm. Can you give me your one name top player who you see as most likely to end up here. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you are saying anything's going to happen or that there's a good chance anything's going to happen. Just looking at the landscape, factoring in everything, what's the player that you think, hey, this this could happen? I'm going to start with CP. I got to go Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell. Uh, his contract extension, not going to sign it with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's here every day of the summer. He's wanted to be a Nick. I think it, it could happen uh, maybe next offseason. Alan it's Hunt. the most likely outcome. Yeah, Bagels, it's the most likely outcome. Donovan Mitchell, it should have happened last August. He expected it to happen. He wanted it to happen. He has the leverage of his contract coming up and an extension that he won't sign to stay in Cleveland if he really wants to come home. So he can control this and make it a little bit easier for the Knicks to pull off a deal and bring him home. And so that's the, that's the easiest answer to give you. Now, it's not exciting. I, I get that, right? And everybody wants me to say Joel Embiid. But I, I would because I've heard all the stuff you've heard. But the one issue I have is why the hell would Philadelphia want to send him to the Knicks when yeah. he's under a ma massive contract? They don't have to move him. Nice. So it's funny. I'm making the same expression. So th There's no reason for them to, to send him to the Knicks, just like Dame Lillard wanted to go to the Heat but didn't up, end up in the Heat. So I caution people who are excited about the idea of Joel Embiid. I think the, the right now name remains Donovan Mitchell. And for the Knicks, it might take them 18 months longer to get him, but they still will have the opportunity to get him if that's what he still wants. I'm with you guys. I was going to say Donovan Mitchell as well. You know, with Carl Anthony Towns, you look at the McDaniels extension and yeah. Minnesota is has big money committed uh, to McDaniels, to Rudy Gobert. Anthony Edwards is going to be extension eligible and Carl Towns and they paid Nas Reed. So I think something has to give there. That's why Carl Anthony Towns to me is also a realistic uh, trade acquisition for New York, depending on how things go in Minnesota. And in New York, I mean, if this team falls a little bit below 500, you're getting closer to the trade deadline. I wonder if they would be more 
open, more likely to take that big swing that we've been talking about for so long. I just keep my eye on Minnesota as well, but I do see Donovan as most likely. As far as players on this roster, uh, Quentin Grimes, big leap last year. I think I thought he was one of the most pivotal players for this Nick team. Once they changed the lineup up, once Tom Thibodeau changed his rotation, the Knicks took off. I thought Grimes was right in the middle of it. I mean, how do you see him taking a next step here in this coming season, CP? What does the next step look like for Quentin Grimes? Yeah, for one, it's continuing on his trajectory of being a high floor 3 and D player. So bringing it on the defensive end, handling the Knicks' toughest assignments from their opponents, and being able to shoot the three ball at close to 40%. He came close in the regular season, and the playoffs that fell off of a cliff. And then secondarily, it's it's continue to make quick decisions when he gets the ball, whether it's putting the ball on the on the floor, attacking closeouts, playmaking for his teammates. I think that's the next step of Quentin Grimes' evolution, but also in the preseason, what was very noticeable from Quentin Grimes was a lot of the areas that that uh, the the key areas that he worked on with J.J. Redick, you kind of saw that on the court. So it seems like he was very intentional about how he's getting his shots off the dribble, how he's getting his shots in, uh, off of movement. And so Quentin, Quentin Grimes really being a student of the game, it's very encouraging to see. And I think there's going to be big things in store for year three. Alan, I don't want to jump the tease that you made uh, a few days ago because you quote tweeted the Donovan, excuse me, Dante DiVincenzo answer about defense and and intensity. And you said you were going to talk about it at halftime on MSG. Don't want to to jump that at all, but I just wanted to know like (laughs) just your initial reaction without delving too deep into it. When you heard that quote from Dante, is it nothing because it's preseason? Is it something because of what was said and what we saw on the floor? Well, you don't have to worry. We don't have the broadcast. It's ESPN has the broad. I shouldn't say we because I'm both, actually. So we have the broadcast on ESPN National. MSG doesn't have the game that night. We only are doing pre and post. So halftime, I meant ask me at halftime when you see me because I'll know by what I saw in the first half of the opener based on what we saw in the preseason because I feel like when you hear players talk about that in the preseason, when they talk about defensive commitment, and they talk about preparation. You know, I, I've covered all different teams. We've covered super young teams with the Knicks. We've covered veteran teams with the Knicks. And one thing you know is, like, they all handle the preseason differently. You're going to have a young team go 4-0. and We all think, ah, this is going to be a great team. And then the regular season starts, and you realize, oh, yeah, nobody was taking that seriously. And then you can have a veteran team that, you know, doesn't always look great, and you realize that, yeah, they really weren't paying attention to the scouting report. They were worried about their own stuff. They weren't really preparing for their opponent as much as you do during the regular season. And it looks different because they ramp it up a notch, now that the lights are on as bright as possible. That's what I want to see in the first half, If is, is if we will see the team that we saw last year, which was prepared for every game, well-coached, well-prepared, worked their tails off, bench came in flying around, Difference makers all up and down the roster. That, that's what you want to see because what we saw in the preseason was good first quarters. And then after that, kind of tailed off a little bit. So DiVincenzo's quote, Bagels, kind of like gave me that vibe of he's kind of letting us know like, yeah, yeah, we really weren't as locked in as we will be when it, when it matters most. So we'll see. So like I said, I'll see you at halftime. I'll let you know what I see. <laughs> Look forward to seeing you in person at halftime. And uh... – RJ CP, RJ Barrett, uh, 
some big summer for Team Canada coming back here. His extension, speaking of extensions, kicks in this season. Uh, and what do you see from him as progress going into this year? What are you expecting from him? Well, from a shooting efficiency standpoint, I'm, I'm not sure what to expect because uh, I've been looking for the guy who shot 40% from three in his second year, but we, we just haven't seen it yet. So the hope for me is that he can get to somewhere near league average from three. But we all know that RJ Barrett's strengths is his attack on the basket, being aggressive, getting it to the, to the hole and, and drawing some contact. And so that's what I want to continue to see from RJ Barrett is just taking better approaches to the rim, finding his teammates on the weak side, making plays when the shot to the hole isn't there and, and not forcing the issue. Tom Thibodeau referred to that several times last year. When R.J. Barrett plays well, he's attacking the basket. He's not fading away. He's making good plays off of his drives, and he's getting to the free throw line. So those are the areas, while, while I sit and wait, for the shooting efficiency to catch up, those are the areas that I think R.J. Barrett can improve upon and do it immediately, you know, from day one to to kind of avoid those slow starts. Alan, you've been watching him daily uh, for all his entire NBA career. And I just I wonder for mm -hmm. you, what do, is, is this who R.J. is? Is what we saw last season with kind of the shooting being up and down, him giving you really good stretches and then some bad stretches? And the defense to me was there sometimes, but he made defensive mistakes. Is this who he is or is there room to grow? I think this is who he is. I mean, the room to grow part is going to be physically as far as his strength and which will just continue to get better and better because he just can, you know, in the league, the longer you're in the league, just the stronger you get. He's a guy that I think should be getting to the line eight to 10 times a game. He's proven that he can. And then we got to get over the league average and free throw percentage. I mean, is he's leaving tons of money on the free throw line. He did last year shooting under 75%. For him, it should be unacceptable for the amount of times he gets to the free throw line. Is he ever going to shoot 40% from three? I don't think so. You know, no matter how many times you spend the offseason working on your shot, it's just, sometimes your shot is your shot. It still doesn't mean he can't have games where he knocks a bunch down because he's in the right rhythm, but our expectations of him evolving shouldn't include becoming a knockdown three-point shooter. He's got to get better from the corner because, as we've learned, he gets a ton of looks from the deep corner in this offense. So that area's got to get better. But when you ask me, you know, what can he be like, – like, is this what he is? I think this is what he is. And I saw we saw it in the World Cup. The World Cup, he had great games, and then he had some of those games where it was, you know, one for eight. So I just think this is who he is. It, it's still a good player, a very good player, but he can – he averaged 19 a game last year. He could have averaged over 20 if he could just make some free throws. That's pretty good if you can do that in this league at, at his young age. Yeah. Ian, can I just jump in real yeah. quick? Absolutely. Uh, no, I, I just think it, it's very interesting just in the whole lens of this conversation, right, and we're speaking on – um, the stargazing. And, and you look at the past champions, it's Jokic with the Nuggets, homegrown. Giannis with the Bucks, homegrown. Stephen Curry, homegrown. And then the, the Knicks situation is so interesting because they are in a great spot. But for me, the challenge is, is that they've yet to hit on that homegrown talent that can really take them over the top. I mean, we, we just talked about RJ in this segment. Is he who he is or does he have another level to grow? Uh, Kevin Knox on the unemployment line, unfortunately. Frank Nilakina uh, is no longer here. Obi Toppin on his second team, and, and hopefully he does great things with the Pacers. But if you, you look at the Knicks in the lottery, we, we still haven't, they still have not had that success 
where they where they could really grow and develop some star talent and all star at that level, where then you can just kind of build around that player. So I, I think it, it makes the, their build or their their path to a, a championship very difficult because now you're you're hoping that you can compete against the 29 other teams that are going to want Joel Embiid or Donovan Mitchell or Devin Booker when he comes available. This this is why to me the NBA is the toughest league to build a championship contender. And, and I'm going to jump in on that, too, because you're right what you say, because you think about the past champions. You're absolutely right, CP. It's always got in the core a, a homegrown player. And, you know, the one team that won a championship in the last, I guess, what we want to call it, uh, decade that, that didn't have that homegrown core? Well, it's the Lakers in the bubble because they went out and they got LeBron, they got Anthony Davis, and that's really how you get it done. That'd be that, you know. So there's either grow it through the lottery – or go out and just attract a couple of stars and put some pieces around them and win it. And so the lottery piece of it that you just mentioned, the names are there. You know, they are what they are. And so that's that's why I bring up the white whale thing. I mean, that is that's the catch that needs to be made here so that the Knicks can get into a championship conversation as they've grown out of at least being in the lottery. They've grown into a playoff contender, a playoff team, a respected team. But to take that next step, that's the hardest one to make, as they always say, is to get to that level. You either got to draft the Jason Tatum and then the Jalen Brown or the Giannis, or you got to go find your LeBron, your Anthony Davis, the player that you trade for that turns it around. And we'll see when and if they can get that done. I will give the Knicks credit for drafting well outside of the lottery. I mean, you look at Mitchell Robinson. Very strong second-round pick. No doubt. Uh, you look at Emmanuel mm-hmm. quickly, Quentin Grimes. I mean, they've done well with their draft picks outside of the lottery. Where they are in the team-building process, you guys intimated, they're not going to have a lottery pick if things go the way that they want them to go. So this regime's not going to have uh, the chance to draft high in the lottery. That's why uh, the trade is the most likely route for a roster improvement. And again, it's something we've talked about for several years now with Leon Rose, just wondering how this Giannis move affects the timeline, impacts their willingness to go ahead and take that big swing, you know, at this trade deadline, or does nothing change because of Giannis? It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, though, guys, I, I, I think that he is kind of a uh, not unsung hero because I think Nick fans know who he is, but the way he impacts the game. You're not seeing it in the box score night in and night out, as Tom Thibodeau likes to say. But, you know, Quentin Grimes went as far as to say he's the most important Nick because of what he does on both ends of the floor. Yeah, How do you see do you see him impacting things the way he did last season? Is there an injury concern? How do you see Mitchell this year, CP? Yeah, I think it's it's the same. Same as last year, which was an elite offensive rebounder, elite rim protector, a guy that covers up many of the Knicks' weaknesses. And Mitchell Robinson, he's coming into camp. He's, he came into the preseason. He looks to be in tip-top physical condition, seems to be in great spirits as well. And so just to continue to assert himself as a two-way force and additionally – be more efficient at the free throw line. He's going to have to knock down his free throws. Uh, we heard courtesy of SNY, his press conference today in terms of him putting up 50-plus free throw attempts after practice. So it seems like he's really making a concerted effort to improve there, changing the arc on his shot. And we're, we're gonna the Knicks are going to need that from him in order for him to stay out there on the court. And so, so far, I love what I'm seeing from Mitch, and I, I think he's going to continue to do that during the regular season. 
Alan, transition here to backup four. Obi Toppin out. Knicks did not sign a traditional backup four. I think Josh Hart is, is going to get the first crack there. Um, they played Jericho Sims at that position for a significant amount in the preseason, so maybe they go both directions. But I think Hart is, is the first at bat there pack, at the backup power forward spot. How do you see that playing out, and particularly like worst case scenario for the Knicks, Randall getting hurt and missing you know a couple of weeks? I, I just wonder how do they how do they deal with things when Randall is not in the game? You notice that Taj Gibson was just uh, released by the Wizards today. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, yeah. like if you want some better in depth, I'm just saying. Like, if you want a guy that can, just in case, right? Exactly, right. Like, you know, break glass in emergency. Taj Gibson's always there. But, uh, you know, that is, to me, a, a concern on this roster. While, you know, Sims looks like they – and to talk about a player they've developed into something useful, he's very useful. And, and he is quickly showing you that he can defend – the, you know, on the perimeter, he can switch on the pick and roll, and he can, uh, you know, a, a accord himself to that kind of defense and rebound and finish at a high percentage at the rim. But anything five, anything more than five feet from the basket, he's lost. You know, and that's that's obviously a problem. So playing the four in today's NBA, when you don't have much of an offensive package and don't have a jump shot worth a damn, I mean, it's it's something that's going to cost you. So you can use him in spurts, but as you said, if you know, again, God forbid, a guy like Randall who never misses time, if you lose him for an extended amount of time, you're going to have to play really small. And I don't know how long you can sustain something like that in a league that is loaded with length and athleticism. So it is a concern. It's an area to watch, and I'm sure what the Knicks will do throughout the season is just keep an eye on availability of players and, and see what they can do there. But the answer right now appears to be, as you mentioned, some Josh Hart, uh, as the backup four potentially, and then also Jericho Sims against bigger teams playing some four. I don't know if that's the long-term answer, but it's the answer right now. You guys have been fantastic. We're going to do one quick fan question before we get out of here. We're going to go back to Matt Spenley and chiming in. What do you have, Matt? Yeah, guys, just want to bring it back to where we started with quickly. So uh, M Rivera4396 is in the YouTube comments asking, can quickly eventually start next to Brunson? I think we all kind of agree that the starting lineup versus the closing lineup is going to be the most important thing. So let's just bring it right back around to quickly and kind of how we expect his future to go. So, so CP and then right on down the line, what do you, where do you think quickly's future will be in New York or elsewhere? Yeah, I, I think you, you never know. It just all depends on who's out there and what that other team wants. But you have to think with quickly being an excellent two-way player, he's probably, to me, the, the Knicks' most val valuable young player. Uh, how will Quentin Grimes, uh, what will Quentin Grimes' appeal be to other teams around the league? So, you know, if you have a situation where you potentially trade R.J. Barrett or trade a Quentin Grimes in a, in a, in a deal, it could slot quickly into that two-guard to play off of Jalen Brunson. So uh, I think you never know. It's certainly possible. Alan, what do you think? I don't love Quickly and Brunson together as a backcourt. I'd rather stagger them so I always have a ball handle along the floor, uh, you know, more of a traditional point guard, someone that can score at that position with that floater, I think Quickly really can, and then the three-point shot. And he's also a better-than-average defender. Let's not forget about that as well. I don't think he gets enough credit for it. So I, I just – I don't think it it's a thing that you do at the starting position 
but he has shown that he can when there's injuries. That's the one thing that I love about Quickly is his versatility. He can start at the four. At the one, he can start off the ball. Those are things you love to see with a player like him. But I wouldn't do it full time. Now, his future, I still want to believe that whatever happens with free agency, restricted free agency, let's keep in mind you can match anything. I just want to believe that the market is set at a certain number. And we're seeing there's point guards making $50 million in this league. You're not paying Brunson a high rate right now. I think you can go higher on a match contract restricted free agent offer sheet in the summer if he's off a great year and you feel like we got to keep this group together. So I'm not worried about losing him. I don't think it's a major issue, and I think there's a better chance than not he'll be in a Nick uniform next season. Yeah, Alan, just to piggyback off that, I don't know. If I'm making a bet today based on what happened over the offseason, just based on stuff that you were hearing leading into today, if I'm making a bet, my bet would be that Emmanuel quickly is elsewhere at the start of next season. Maybe that's the pessimist in me, but, you know, once you – you decline the option to extend him, whatever the details of the negotiation were, it just increases the odds that he will not be here next year. So that's where I am with it. Uh, and it was great to hear where you guys were on everything, Knicks. Really appreciate your time. We're going to wrap now. But uh, CP, the franchise, Knicks Fan TV, WFAN, Sirius XM, NBA Radio, Alan Hahn, ESPN, MSG, pre- and post-game. You got, you know these guys well. I really appreciate you guys giving your Knicks thoughts on the putback. We will be back next Thursday, uh, November 2nd, with another episode. So be sure to check us out then, and we'll see how things go. Wednesday night, Knicks-Celtics season opener.